from downtown Milwaukee, welcome to Money Talk with Bob Landis. Each week, professional advisors from Landis and Company Investments discuss the latest financial developments, offering timely insight and long-term perspective. This is Money Talk for September 8th, 2023. Looking at the calendars, this weekend the Brewers are in New York with the Yankees. The Marlins and the Nationals are in Milwaukee next week. And Festa Italiana is happening this weekend at Milwaukee's Italian Community Center. A Florida man was arrested by the U.S. Coast Guard after attempting to cross the Atlantic Ocean in a giant inflatable hamster wheel. (laughs) Now, you might think that was a -a once-in-a-lifetime trip, but this is at least the third time he's met the Coast Guard this way. A South African airline flight had to make an unscheduled landing when a highly venomous cobra was found under the pilot's seat. Mm. So I guess Samuel L. Jackson isn't the only one tired of these monkey fighting snakes on these Monday through Friday planes. (laughs) (laughs) A man in Georgia took the name Porch Pirate a bit too literally. Not satisfied with petty theft of Amazon packages, he allegedly went to his neighboring property and stole an entire porch that was (laughs) not attached to a home at the time. It may have had an abandoned look, but was not up for grabs, the porch's owner said. (laughs) Finally, have you ever dreamed of running a race while dressed as your favorite Jurassic-era creature? Yeah, me too. And we're not alone. More than 200 people headed to Auburn, Washington, all dressed in their best inflatable T-Rex costumes to run the track at Emerald Downs for the annual T-Rex World Championships. That sounds like a roaring good time. (laughs) At the big table today, but sadly not in T-Rex costumes, I've got Art Rothschild, Mike Helzel, Joel Driesing, and looking back at the week, here's Kyle Tedding. Well, thanks, Jason, and sadly the T-Rex costume comes with a fan that might be a bit distracting while we're (laughs) presenting for the podcast today. A a tough week overall, uh, a short week, but a tough week overall. The NASDAQ down 1.9%, closing at 13,762. The S&P 500 down 58 points. That's 1.3%, closing at 44.57. And the Dow Jones Industrial Average held up just a little better, but still down, down 261 points for the week, despite a positive Friday uh, to close the week down seven-tenths of a percent at 34.577 for the year. NASDAQ still up a stellar 32.2%. The S&P up 17.3%. And the Dow Jones, nothing to shake a stick at, still up 5.7% for the year, including dividends. You know, maybe, Art, a place to start is investors, I think, continued nervousness, uh, entering a time of year in which uh, things don't always go our way, uh, having been on a pretty significant run for a while, no shortage of things to point to that should be positives, and yet a tough week, uh, even with some positive economic news. Yeah, but as you're alluding to, this should be expected. Stocks don't go straight up. They go down every once in a while. Um, I found it interesting that the losses this week were sort of the way they should have been. The NASDAQ, which is up the most, went down the most. The S&P, which is uh, kind of in the middle, up 17% for the year after this week, lost one. Of course, the the NASDAQ lost more like 2%. And the Dow, which is only up 5.7%, which is still a decent number. Um, only lost seven-tenths of a percent. So as far as losses go, this was relatively small. As far as the news goes, as I'm sure Joel will get into later with respect to the economic uh, statistics, it's like it was a great week for good news. And again, the market 
took it badly, and but not that badly. So this is the time of year in which, as you're aware, you've mentioned it on the show, September's the worst month statistically uh, for investors. Okay, so we lose a few bucks. Um, everybody's afraid of October. Halloween's coming up. You have to watch out for losses in that month. There's always something to be concerned about. But when you're up 32% on the NASDAQ or driving right down the middle of the fairway, 17% on the S&P, I'm pretty happy. Yeah, I'd say it's difficult to be upset, uh, even giving back a little this week. And, you know, there's a lot to be said about seasonality in markets. Uh, most of it is, uh, is true when you talk about long-term averages, but completely irrelevant when you talk about the market we're currently in. And you mentioned the economic data, Joel, we had a, a number of releases, even on a short week, still a few things to point to that show that, um, and this is probably me repeating myself again, but uh, that the economy is more or less on good standing, if not grown as fast as maybe we'd hope. That's right. Yeah. I mean, you can keep repeating that because it hasn't changed. You know, we've got some good news mostly, but some enough news in there that, that should give the Fed some pause as to whether you know, um, they're done raising rates. So um, we had factory order numbers, and those were down for the first time in, in five months. Um, and, and showing that we're not really growing that much in manufacturing so far this year. Um, we also had numbers from the service sector, which is the bigger part of the economy. Um, and that's, you know, the, the highest rating for the ISM uh, services index that we've had in six months, and that's been going eight months strong. And, uh, y you know, um, another number this week was the trade gap, um, and th that's a number that bounces around uh, for various reasons, but that widened in July, and that's um, a bad thing for how the gross domestic product is me measured. So the wider the the trade gap, the bigger the, the trade deficit, the the more that detracts from uh, economic growth. Um, but within that, there were some numbers that showed we were actually narrower than we were from the year before. Um, you know, other things, uh, every week we talk about the initial claims for unemployment. Um, those are pretty steady. Those are 38% below the, the long-term average. There's That's a, a very constant sign that employers are reluctant to let go of workers, um, which is a strength in the economy right now. Um, and then we had productivity numbers, which those, uh, all sorts of things you can read out of there. There were pluses and minuses. Um, we saw that uh, the, the, the annual rate of hours worked declined for the first time in uh, three years. Um, but we also saw that if you measure from a year-to-year -year basis, that productivity, that output per hour worked, actually rose for the first time since the end of 2021. And for me, the mixed economic news really tells me two things. It tells me, one, um, you know, to your point, gives the Fed pause. It gives the Fed pause to pause, right? It gives them this idea that you know, maybe rates can stay here a little while longer than what the market thought initially. We were talking, at least from a market prognostication perspective, right, what is what are the futures markets saying is going to happen with interest rates? We were talking about a Fed that might be cutting into the end of this year or early next year. The, the, the market has started to shift on that to the idea that, all right, maybe rates will actually stay where they are. 
Um, I think that's some of the response this week is certainly that the economy has been strong enough, but not so strong that the Fed is starting to realize maybe we've found the sweet spot. Um, and it's allowed rates a little bit further out to come a little bit higher. It's allowed, uh, I think, investors to start to now make plans for if this is where we are, that might not be the end of the world. And most importantly, the second piece of this, it tells us that the economy is strong enough to support rates that are higher than what we've seen in quite a while. You know, the, the big economic report that I didn't mention was the Beige Book, which is, you know, anecdotal evidence that the Fed collects um, to inform their decisions on policymaking. And, and that showed actually that the, um, you know, we've got this this strong growth in the economy, but that um, the job growth is, is subdued. Um, was one of the the results of of the the beige book. Um, uh, price growth um, is slowing, so you know again that's that's good because that means that inflation is is in check. Although that that slower growth is de- decelerating. So um, and then there was also uh, uh, they pointed out that this was interesting that we may be in the last stage of pent up tourism and, and leisure spending. So. You know, you think of, of um, COVID and, and the pandemic and, and how people couldn't uh, travel about the country as or the world as much as they had hoped. And so we saw a splurge of that, especially in the last year. Um, and, you know, the Fed, from the evidence they collected, they think that maybe that's um, coming to an end. And, um, and so the growth that we have been seeing in the economy, the, the economic strength, may be slowing, which fits in with what the Fed's been trying to do. Yeah, how fitting. I stare out at the Milwaukee River, and there's a Viking cruise ship sitting right on the river letting <laughs> passengers <laughs> enjoy Milwaukee. Maybe not the area I'd have them uh, first enter the city coming onto Jones Island <laughs> next to the Milorganite plant. But, you know, I think it's fitting to, to be able to look at that and go, well, every customer I'm talking to, every client I'm having a conversation with is talking about how they didn't travel for a little while, they finally got that big trip they were uh, putting off under their belt. And now they're looking, but they're not looking with as much urgency as they had in the past. They're excited to be able to get back out there, but it's not, all right, I got to get that trip on the books. It's all right, well, let's start to figure out now what we want to do next. And so to that point, maybe it's back to that more moderate growth that we have come to count on uh, as the thing that drives the economy going forward, not the uh, no go to to everything's all at once, but uh, hey, okay, let's let's see a little the more. The revenge travel that they were <laughs> revenge yeah, travel, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> Speaking of revenge, Mike, maybe a good time to bring you in. Um, I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things I think that has been a part of the sell off this week and in prior weeks, in which we saw some pretty meaningful sell off, is a conversation on valuations. It's tended to be that the things that have gotten more expensive are the things that have sold off the most. You know, Art pointed out this week it was the NASDAQ down 1.9 compared to kind of the more uh, middle-of-the-road S&P down 1.3. I think it speaks to a broader conversation you and I have been having about how some of the conversation around stretched valuations, the idea that the forward price-to-earnings multiple on the S&P 500 is a little higher than it has been on average over the long term, uh, some of that conversation is maybe buried in the fact that it isn't everything that looks expensive. Yeah, it's anytime you turn on the TV or anything, you he- see a conversation about valuations or you read an article or something, they always talk about how the stock market is 
like you've said, overstretched with valuations, how everything is expensive, or stocks are expensive, I should say. Well, that's not necessarily true, right? If you look at, if you strip out um, the top 10 stocks of the S&P 500, the average valuation of the rest is 17.6. The average, historical average is 15.7. So yeah, it's high or higher, but it's not as high as it could because the top 10, their current average is 20, over 27 and a half, right? And then if you go even farther, like kind of narrow that down even more, if you strip out the top six of like the mega cap tech stocks that had driven the market the first six months, and you look at Apple's at 28 times, Microsoft 31, Amazon 48, NVIDIA 35, Meta 23, and Google 24. You strip those out, yeah, stocks in the S&P 500, their valuations, they're not cheap, but they're not overly expensive, which shows that they may have some more room to run. And of course, I think the challenge is in identifying value, right, and figuring out are we willing to pay 22, 24, 28 times earnings for Google because we think that they can earn it? Or would I rather buy something cheap? And are, there's plenty of cheap stuff out there. The challenge is always in identifying, okay, why is it cheap? And a great example is China. China's trading at a pretty reasonable valuation. And yet, news this week that maybe China's holding some American companies hostage again. Um, yeah, they can compete. And I know you've got some thoughts on that, but also, um, you know, there's there's reasons for concern there. Yeah, I wouldn't even stick my toe into China's water right now. It's uh, they've got significant problems. They they had real estate problems a few years ago that were threatening. They're threatening again. Um, the latest thing this week, and it caused uh, Apple shares to decline fairly significantly this week, is that they're going to ban government employees from using Apple. Uh, phones. Well, we did the same thing sort of to them with Huawei, you know, one of their companies by banning, you know, their equipment sales um, over here. So payback is something else. Um, the other thing that is happening is that uh, Tesla um, over there is getting competition from a major Chinese uh, electric car manufacturer that's starting to export some pretty good cars at good prices around the world. So China's future perhaps is bright, but it's a little dull right now. Um, so, yeah, you don't want to be caught in the China trap. I still think stocks in this country, even though expensive, they're expensive for a reason. And the reason is we're consistent here, at least in terms of capitalism. And these price earnings multiples we're talking about right now are against the backdrop of high interest rates. If we can assume that interest rates are going to go down eventually over time when the Fed's done reining in inflation, then maybe those price earnings multiples, especially if earnings continue to grow, aren't going to look so bad if we're still growing over here. So I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic about the United States as a place to invest. And value stocks, because they haven't gone up as much this year, are just downright cheap. You're, you're only looking at, as we said, year-to-date on the Dow, representative of 20-something percent of the market, as you've, you've been identified. It's, only, it's up less than 6%, which is kind of what we expect to do you know, over long periods of time with, with a well-designed portfolio. So making a little more with the S&P, making a little more with the NASDAQ, a little less with the Dow over time, I think we'll do just fine. Yeah, you take more risk, you should expect more return. Um, I think this year is uh, maybe a, a, a zoom into that and a, a maybe a bit of a, an over example of what we should be seeing in terms of that conversation. But 
Um, you know, I think clearly as we look at it in particular, the China part of the conversation, and uh, a note from a Dallas, uh, uh, Dallas Fed economist earlier this year that pointed out that uh, I think in large part a result of the trade war that's been going on with China, the role that China's played as kind of historically our major trading partner has taken a backseat now to Mexico that uh, there's a larger portion of uh, exported and imported goods with Mexico as a percentage of the total than there is with China now. They've taken China's place as our biggest trade partner. Uh, and even then, I think we continue to find ways to uh, replace parts of what we used to get from China. Didn't ever really send a lot to China, but certainly what we get from China with suppliers in other areas. And so Mexico is a great example. Canada represents about 12% of our import-export trade. Um, you know, I think realistically, that's one more reason why that outlook for China looks a little murky is, yeah, your you're buyer of last resort, the, the person that bought all that cheap labor and all those cheap goods, um, they're not shopping as much anymore from you because they found some, some other store to go to. And so I think as we look ahead, I'm pretty optimistic about the U.S. I'm pretty optimistic about North America in general because the trade patterns have shifted to uh, more regional trade, and that, that supports what we're doing here. You know, I think the, the reminder for everyone right now, we've got a seminar, seminar coming up uh, pretty soon here. If you, uh, if you haven't already signed up, I'd encourage you to hop on our website, check it out, uh, send an email over to uh, Lisa, send an email over to your advisor and let them know, hey, I'd, I'd like to attend. Uh, most importantly, Got a little bit of space left, but we'd love to see you out there. Um, and a good opportunity for us to dive a little deeper into some of these topics, maybe give you a little more visual on uh, some, of, some of the supporting evidence, um, because, you know, it's a, it's a good opportunity to educate, and that's what we're here for. With that, we enjoy doing the program for you. We'll talk to you again next week. Thank you for listening to Money Talk with Bob Landis. If you have a financial question you want answered on next week's show, Email it to moneytalk at landis.com. To keep informed throughout the week, visit our Money Talk page at landis.com.